I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Girl, real talk. This whole it's a new year, time to reinvent myself trash is not the vibe for 2024. You can find someone who loves you for you as you are. You don't need to read a stack of self-help books, only eat sad salads, or like start meditating at 5 a.m. to be ready for dating. So yeah, my advice is to download Bumble and find someone who embraces you the way you are right now. Let me know how it goes. I don't feel like I'm in a realist world, if that makes sense. I feel so often discombobulated wonder and shock, um, and genuine surprise about the things that happen every day in my life. (laughs) I don't know if I could have written it in a way that wasn't absurd because absurdity felt like the most natural and most, most truthful state of being. I'm Jordan Kistner, author of the essay collection Thin Places, and this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. To keep everyone safe, these interviews were recorded remotely, usually on a cell phone in somebody's home. And so you might hear some sounds and signs of life, like a car backfiring, a dog walking through the room, usually my dog walking through the room. Thank you for your patience with that. Hilary Leichter is the author of Temporary, one of the breakout novels of 2020, a whip-smart, hilarious story about a temp worker who spins between 23 jobs, like substitute pirate or temporary replacement for a mannequin in a store window. This character fills in for a ghost at one point in a big old house, opening and closing doors at particular times of the day. It's uh, it's brilliant. It's a riot. It's satire. As Pearl Sagal wrote in the New York Times book review, it's a comic and mournful Alice in Wonderland set in the gig economy, an eerily precise portrait of ourselves in a cracked mirror. Hillary came on to talk about starting out as a musical theater actress and realizing at a cattle call that her future was going to be a different one than she planned. It's a fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it. When I first moved to New York in 2007, right after college, I moved here to be an actress and to be a performer. And, um, I had gone to liberal arts school and I was very much in love with writing as well, but these were kind of like the twin artistic impulses that had guided most of my life. And so I moved to New York to go on auditions and to be on Broadway. (laughs) And it was, um, I was at a cattle call for a national tour of Fiddler on the Roof. And a cattle call is basically just, a very unflattering term for a type of audition where you don't, you can just show up. 
you know, you don't need an appointment, you don't need an agent. And of course I had none of those things. And I thought Fiddler on the Roof, that's, that's very me. I I can definitely do that. And so I was anticipating this audition for weeks and preparing and picking out what I was going to wear. And I get there and it's basically 500 girls that I went to Hebrew school with. It is just, <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey. So it's just this massive reunion of people I used to perform with, people I was bat mitzvahed with, people people whose bat mitzvahs I went to, um, cousins. You know, it was just absurd. And and I didn't even get to sing. There were so many people there. It was, it was, um, it was truly like being herded like cats, cats more than cattle. And we eventually got to stand in a line in front of the casting director who was Bernie Telsey. And I didn't know anything, but he's kind of a big deal casting director. And he just examined each of us and then, you know, said, okay, this person is standing in this line can stay. And that was it. I didn't get to sing. I didn't get to dance. I didn't get to wear a babushka. You know, there was just nothing. (laughs) And I left feeling the hilarity of that experience, but also really feeling like this is not what I want to be doing with my time. I want, I want to be creating things rather than putting myself into other people's creations. And at the time I interpreted that as I want to be a writer but I think it was a little bit more complicated. I think what the threshold really was, was do I want to be a part of other people's art or do I want to make art? And I, I, I wanted to make art, you know, I wanted to make my own things and I didn't want to wait in line. I didn't want to go to cattle calls. I didn't want to, uh, later on, I found out that the, they were only auditioning for one role and she had to be shorter than her male counterpart in the musical. And so they were only looking for people under five, five. Oh. <laughs> and it's, and I, I don't want to be under five, five, you know, that was, that was what I took away that day. And, um, you know, I didn't like give up that minute on the performing arts, but I, I kind of had a new sense of the kind of, creativity that I wanted to engage in as an adult. Hillary, this is <laughs> so weird. Oh my because God. I have the exact same story. No. Yeah. Like almost no. similar, except it was the West Side Story Broadway cattle call. Not, not <laughs> Are you kidding me? No. Yeah. I also moved to, I wanted to be an actor and was not, didn't, wasn't ever much thinking about writing. And was doing cattle calls and had the exact same thing where I went to the cattle call for West Side Story Mm -hmm. and got stood in the line. I did get to, I didn't get to sing, but they, I did get to do, I made it past the first, you know, where they just look at you and and point at you. That's amazing. I mean, maybe they wanted someone taller than 5'5", who knows? (laughs) And then I got to the where they make you step forward and do a, a double pirouette. And then I think mm-hmm. I got, cu- and then I got caught on the third. But anyway, it was that same experience of like, I don't want to be in a position of needing someone else's permission to do my job or to make 
to make work. And I want to make something as opposed to being in some, it's just very, very strange. This is the exact same. I have the exact same story about realize about the moment of feeling like, Oh, I think I am going to be a writer and not an actor. That is um, wild. I, you know, it's weird, but I actually don't think we're the only ones. I feel like there's a connection between acting and writing that maybe it's discussed a lot. I don't know. I don't think it's talked about enough, but they don't feel of two separate worlds to me. You know, I enter the same headspace um, in terms of creating a character. I, well, I think the obvious thing is like, oh, you're, you're making characters, you know, you're, you're inventing a person who didn't exist before, but, but I think of it more in terms of inventing an entire world. And, um, I don't necessarily start with building a character when I start writing something, but that element of engagement and creating something not only believable, but engaging, I think is really important to me when I sit down to write. And a lot of times when I stop working on something or when I shift gears, it's because I'm bored (laughs) and, and it's, it used to be the same for me with performance. If I hadn't quite figured out how to sing a certain song or where the emotion was located in a monologue, it would just feel, it would feel tepid and it would feel boring. And there wouldn't be that feeling of being on, which is I think the only way to describe it, like a switch has been clicked and, and you're on. And I, I think about that a lot when I'm sitting down to work did writing and acting for you sort of start at the same time? Did they sort of originate from the same place? Were you doing them concurrently? Why didn't you turn into a playwright? I'm so curious. <laughs> I did. I did write plays for a little bit. Um, yeah, I, when I was really, really young, like under 10, I was all about writing, writing poems, writing little novellas that were four pages long, you know, that was my, that was my jam. And then for some reason it fell away for a while. Not that I didn't do it on my own, but it wasn't where I found inspiration. It wasn't how I found pride in myself. And I, and I shifted over to the performing arts and performed with this company for young actors for most of my middle school and high school years and trained and it was that I just lived breathed devoured music and and acting specifically both of those and um just didn't think of myself as a writer for a very long time even though I knew that I was a good student in my English class you know mm-hmm. <laughs> And, um, I think it was in college where I really came back to writing and started taking some workshops and creative writing classes and wrote a play my senior year and started to really feel the overlap between those two things. And, uh, yeah, so I, there was a time when I was doing both. And then after that fateful (laughs) fiddler on the roof, experience. I, I wrote my own cabaret show. (laughs) (laughs) 
which used to be on YouTube, but I took it down when oh no, <laughs> I studied with Sam Lipsight at Columbia and he had seen it. He had seen my videos. And so the, that night I took it down. I was like, no one is going to take me seriously. Ever. <laughs> but I, um, I performed it twice. It was like a one woman, one hour show with American songbook standards. And then I wrote a whole lot of patter to go in between. And um, yeah, and I performed it twice at Don't Tell Mama's on, I think it's on 46th Street. They just reopened, I believe. So, <laughs> and I, I got a lot of joy out of that, out of finding ways to take these songs that already existed and use them autobiographically or tell a story. I did you know, a whole thing about online dating. And that was really satisfying. But again, it was running up against an art form that there's not a lot of innovation there in the cabaret scene these days. I I don't know what your experience is with that. But I, I found like I was, I was hitting a wall with the type of places my imagination was taking me. And I wanted I wanted to create something even stranger and even more surreal. And I didn't know how to do that um, as a a cabaret singer. (laughs) 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 Yet. (laughs) Yet. I mean, at what point did you think that fiction might be, might give you the the leeway to do what you were not finding yourself able to do in, in the cabaret medium? Honestly, it was practical. I think that I just, I didn't have money and theater requires a great deal of equity and, and like investors. And, um, and also I was completely clueless about where to start because I didn't go to a, even though I had trained, I didn't go to a conservatory program. I went to a liberal arts school and was an English major. And so I felt that everyone was coming to the city with an agent or connections or, you know, much in the way when you leave an MFA program, there are things that you have that you didn't have before you went there. And so I was, I was confused about, about how to do this all by myself. And then fiction, just the overhead was lower. (laughs) I could say that the story took place on a carousel and not have to build a carousel or it, it just, there were no financial limitations to my dreams, you know, and to my imagination. And that was really appealing to me at first. And then it became appealing to just sit alone with an idea for a really long time. And I love the collaborative element of theater, but I, I had never experienced the kind of solitude and the joy in that solitude that comes with writing fiction. 
and just it's like having a secret uh and then you eventually get to share it with the with the world hopefully or or just with your editor or maybe just with your friends but that feeling of making something in private and then and then getting to share it was just overwhelmingly fun to me I just loved that I still do um I love that it's like being a kid again honestly and entering that that world of anything being possible and allowing yourself to make mistakes and to have fun and to write things that are stupid (laughs) or hard or wrong and then to eventually get it the way you want it to be and share it Mm, yeah there's such a contrast there because when you're rehearsing something that actually I always found really anxiety producing was that in rehearsal you you had to be so in process and sort of falling on your face and doing mm-hmm. doing a bad job in front of everybody I mean and there's camaraderie in the fact that everybody's doing that together right like everybody has to have the vulnerability of being in process um and sometimes embarrassing yourself in front of everybody else. But there is something that is so, that does feel so freeing about the fact that with writing, you ju- you can choose not to show it to anyone until you mm-hmm. feel like you're ready, until you feel like it's ready. It, it's really perfect for my perfectionist tendencies, but, but it's also, I, I think that what you just described, I love that element of performing too. And I think that, I don't know if you find this, but it gave me such a thick skin. Um, I don't, I don't get upset about people's reactions to my work really ever. The only time I get upset is if it's like an ad hominem reaction to me as a person, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of review that's like, you wrote this, therefore you must be this type of human being. Um, (laughs) but I just, I love Goodreads. I think Goodreads is a riot. I think (laughs) I love when people don't like parts of things that I've written or have unexpected reactions, because I think putting yourself on stage and making little vibrations with your vocal cords is one of the most absurd things that you can do. (laughs) And then to, to have done that, it just, it doesn't feel very it feels vulnerable, but in a totally palatable way to me to share something I've written. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I just, it does. Yeah. yeah. In, a, in, a, in a different way. But yeah, I think feeling like you are very practiced at taking constructive criticism and sometimes not constructive criticism from people, you know, like from, from directors, from colleagues, from who, like you get really practiced at at being critiqued. Yeah. And in the most, I mean, the the thing that really stuck with me is the way that performance and auditioning so often being right for a part has nothing to do with you and everything to do. And so that remembering that in rejection from literary journals or magazines or whatever, it's, it's a really helpful tool to understand. Even when I was looking for an agent or when my agent was sending, sending temporary out to editors, 
just having an understanding that because something wasn't right for someone didn't mean that I was doing it wrong. Right. Maybe they just needed someone who was under five, five. (laughs) Um, in college, I was in a production of the fantastics, which you probably know, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But for people who don't know, it's, it's the longest running or was the longest running off Broadway show, um, ever. And it's a fairy tale. It's about, it's a love story, star-crossed lovers, but it's funny and it kind of is meta and jabs at itself. And um, so I played the the ingenue, like the romantic lead, which which if you know me or have ever seen me speak or even have read my book, it that's a interesting casting choice and a fun one, I think, because I'm much more of a character actress and not like the soprano love interest. And, and I knew that because I'm not stupid, (laughs) but, but the director made a point of constantly telling me that, you know, he really wanted to cast this thing differently and to, to not, and it got to the point where I I just wanted to say to him, are you saying that I'm ugly? Like, is that, (laughs) is that what the note is here? And, and that's like, that kind of criticism comes up all the time in, in theater and in film and just any sort of, um, type of performance art where people are trying to imagine what someone looks like, but I don't have any control over that. And it's so freeing to, to feel that way about my writing too. I don't have any control over how I told the story that I told I just, you know, the only thing I can do is be honest to that impulse and, and follow it and not try and make it something else. And it's, it it drives me crazy when I see really talented writers get caught up in, in someone's reaction to their work, who is not meant to represent their work, you know, especially students. Like, I just want to (laughs) say, you might not look the part, but you, you you deserve the part. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I feel like everyone should have to maybe go through that before having a career in the arts. Yeah, that's true. I was I've been sitting here thinking like, yeah, it is incredibly helpful to have been sort of like lightly traumatized in a particular <laughs> way, so that the later traumas don't feel <laughs> like yeah. would, you know. And maybe it's just that that um, there is something so absolutely direct about the way that performers and actors and singers, you know, get, um, you know, they have to stand in, they have to put their bodies in front of the audience and then be, you know, do it live. Um, and it's very personal and a lot of things are open for critique, like the way they look or the way they sound or the way they talk, uh, Mm -hmm. in, in a way that just isn't the case for other, other mediums. Um, but yeah, I do, I, I wonder if it's, not just that there's always some version of having to to build that resistance um you know and for students it's like mm-hmm. you know it's their first time it's their first yeah. time with anything like that and it's just it's just not your first time you just you know had a, a whole bunch of um a whole bunch of practice in a different way yeah yeah no that's true <laughs> you're right <laughs> i mean but yeah i think I think having some, it's like anything else where you're inured because you've had some sort of more extreme version of something and then you, um, and then 
you know, future challenges feel less intense that way. I guess it's so funny because I don't remember it as such. Like I remember it being some of the most joyful stuff in my life, you know, and, um, I wonder if it's part of the collaborative aspect of theater that none of it ever felt traumatic, you know, even, even hearing that you don't look the part or that, you know, there's something wrong with the way you are on stage and it's from who you are as opposed to how you're playing the role. It never felt. And I, I mean, I say this knowing full well that in all of these fields, there is a lot of like actual abuse and trauma and I didn't experience any of that. But there was something about, you know, having a crappy director who said something kind of flippant and then going backstage and having your community there, like giving you a big hug. And I just, I remember that part, you know, I remember like the, the teamwork and the, the, the building something together and the full support that you have when you're working with other talented, like-minded people. And if I'm, if I miss something about theater, it's that, it's that feeling after a show is over and just knowing that you created something with this group that will never exist again, except in your minds and in your memories. And that there's, it's just so beautiful, you know? So, (laughs) so I don't want to make it sound like I was like raked over the coals. And (laughs) I think it, I think it made me thicker skinned, but also I think working with, with talented people and kind people also made me thicker skinned, you know, it's a, it was a combination of the two. I kind of want to return to this, this notion that you had like the day of the fiddler (laughs) cattle call of realizing, oh, you know, I don't know that I want to be a part of someone else's art. I think I want to make art. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you, did you struggle with, with doubt about that, about doubt about whether or not that was um, possible for you or whether you were up for that? Or did you, did it take you sort of a while to feel like you were realizing that um that idea for yourself or what did it feel pretty immediate oh no I I had tons of doubt um but combined with like a really unearned sense of confidence (laughs) (laughs) um it was like I knew I could do it even though I didn't know I could do it which I think is an important thing to trick yourself into feeling sometimes. Uh, That day became such a joke in my family. It became family lore. And I really like, I come from a long line of women who tell the same stories over and over again. And so I really like developed a way of telling this story that just would crack my mother up and crack my friends up. And 
And I think it wasn't until making it into a story, ironically enough, that I figured out what the story meant. And so I wouldn't say that I decided right there on the sidewalk, I'm going to be a star on my own. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I definitely, it was through the telling of that experience that I figured out what I wanted to do next. Um, and that was applying for grad school <laughs> as, as many of these stories end. But I, but you know, there was, there was time in between. And I, what I realized was that I, I needed, I needed that kind of community that I had when I was younger, if I was going to make art, even if I was going to make the kind of art that you make on your own. And I didn't have it in New York. Um, I had friends, but none of them were taking this path. And I was really missing that feeling of a group of people to inspire you and to bitch with and to, you know, bemoan the artistic process. And so grad school seemed like a good idea, but I, I didn't know for a long time what I was trying to say or what I wanted to create. I just knew that I had this impulse to tell stories and an impulse to build worlds and to build ideas. I would say for my first year in grad school at Columbia, I was just writing these fragments of things that weren't really fiction. They were just, they were kind of interesting sentences. And, and I don't think I knew what, I don't think I had the context, uh, you know, either through like not having enough instruction, instruction in contemporary fiction or not having enough mentors before. I don't think I had the context to understand what I was doing or where it fit into a larger canon of work. And luckily I found teachers there who could kind of see what was happening on the page before I could see it. And that was really helpful to me. And that was really where I figured out that I was a big weirdo <laughs> who was who was going to write these big weird things. And that's where I felt invigorated and comfortable and also challenged and uncomfortable. And, um, I don't think I knew that about myself until, until I went back to school. Yeah. I really loved when I read temporary, what a strange book it is, how weird the reality is, how surreal it is. It felt like it made me feel such delight to read it precisely because it, it was, you know, it was this, it was this intense, weird world. And something I've been wanting to ask you is why that, why that, I don't know if you'd call it an aesthetic or maybe like a set of ethics <laughs> or to, or to, but like why that appeals to you so much? Like what feels, why is that where you feel at home when you're, when you're working? It's a really good question. It feels emotionally honest to me. I think there are a lot of really good books about work that approach it from a more realist standpoint, but I don't feel like I'm in a realist world. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I feel so often 
discombobulated wonder and shock um, and genuine surprise about the things that happen every day in my life. (laughs) I don't know if I could have written it in a way that wasn't absurd because absurdity felt like the most natural and most, most truthful state of being to, to come from in telling this story. Um, if I could have written it like just (laughs) beat by beat, um, a day in the life in New York, I probably would have, but for whatever reason, my brain lives somewhere kind of, kind of odd. And I, I don't know that I, um, (laughs) I don't know that I know why, uh, which is not to say that I don't love like a big meaty epic family novel without a hint of magic realism in it. I love books like that. I think that when I, when I think about the world, it just tends to be a little bit upside down and I can't help it. (laughs) I mean, I think it's, I think it's magical. I think it's a superpower. (laughs) Thank you. Do you think of when you're sitting down to write um, of yourself still as a person who is performing when you're writing? Mm. Not so much anymore. Um, I think because I just, I care less what, I care less about the audience than I used to. Um whether it's just like a function of getting a little bit older and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but as the kids say, not giving any fucks <laughs> if you need to. Yeah. Um, no, you're allowed to say that. It's okay. Zero fucks. And, um, I'm really writing to, to entertain myself and to not just entertain myself, but to, to access some part of myself. And, um, the the beauty of it is when other people can relate to it too. And I think that's not something that you can ask for or request of an audience. It's just something that happens if you're lucky. And yeah, so I don't, yeah, I don't think of it as performing, but I do think of it as like casting a spell, which is one of the things that I loved about theater, the feeling of, the feeling of casting a spell for just a couple of hours. And I still, I still feel that way when I sit down to write. Well, I just, I kind of want to just like do a two woman show now. Definitely. (laughs) I feel like we're going to need to, I I don't have my character shoes anymore, but I can reinvest. (laughs) You don't have your capizios? Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar Strauss and Drew. I'm Jordan Kissner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kissner. We'll see you next week.